All right, everyone. Welcome to another No Gi Required podcast. I'm always with me here, Jay Zabalos and his brother, Mike Zibalos. Today, one of our guests is, and um, I'm taking such a, an advantage because in our school, we have so many people from different backgrounds and professions that what they do. And I think a lot of the things they we're gonna hear about it, I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate it with and have an explanation from people that are expert in their field. Today I have Mark Morales. How are you, sir? Great, thanks for having me. I, I'm super excited because uh, two of my favorite people for the last 20 years are sitting here. Well, that's very sweet. And now I'm, we're very gonna throw guy. you a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we'll not be the favorites anymore. I don't know, well, let's see, Mark. <laughs> it could be an interview or it could be a roast. <laughs> I don't know. I, okay. <laughs> Mark, yes, man, it's been, I don't know, over 20 years that since you walk in for the first time. And uh, it was very interesting because you already have few backgrounds on your back in different styles. And I want to go back to the early days as a little kid. Yeah. When, when was the beginning of your career, I would say, in wrestling? You have so many things that that I would love to hear about the wrestling, the coaches, your life into that, the competitions, in a good way, the struggles, the, the, the things that you succeed, how that made yes. you as a better kid and become an adult and, and be who you are today. Yes, so I grew up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area and my attraction to martial arts was basically the first time I went to a book fair, which back in the 70s was a, um, you know, the, they would come up with a yellow bus and they'd fold it out. I think everyone, yeah, I remember you know, if you're those. a little older. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so they folded it out and I walked up and I picked up a book um, about Bruce Lee. And uh, I, uh, you know, it's a kid's book. And, and uh, ironically, I still have the book. I saw, I saw it on my shelf this morning. And um, from there, I told my parents, hey, I want, I want to do... Um, I want to do Kung Fu or karate. And there was a East West uh, karate center around the uh, corner from my house. And I went in there and I, I got a free lesson and um, uh, I came back to my parents and said, Hey, I want to do this. Well, my dad was a working stiff. And so he, I, you know, I think they talked about it. They'd look at the price tag and they were like, you know, that's kind of out of our budget. And so I was a little disappointed when they took me to the YMCA to start judo when I was 10 years old in, um, in uh, 1977. And I was like, okay, well, it's kind of cool. You get to wear a gi and um, you know, we're, we're doing throws. But I, I gotta admit, I was still like a little uh, disappointed. But what happened is, um, you, know, you, you know when you're a kid, like you think you're smarter than your parents and I, I look back today, 40 years later, and I'm like, my dad was so smart because first I got into judo and I was competitive right off the bat doing judo tournaments. Then I got into wrestling a couple of years later and wrestled through high school, did some wrestling in college, did a lot of Greco-Roman wrestling on the um, you know, local and national circuit. And um, you know, spent some time in the Marine Corps, got out, did, years in LAPD wrestled for the LAPD wrestling team where we literally went all over the world. And uh, while I was training here, I got back into like the master circuit and ended up wrestling in 
numerous uh, uh, masters, championships, and whatnot. You won. You won the Nogi Worlds in eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. So 19. the only so so to podcast members and you know being uh, next to you guys, John Jock, the legend. I'm probably the guy nobody's heard of, and and the reason why um, is because I worked in public service. So as a police officer you're not gonna get famous. You're either gonna be infamous or you're gonna be a professional and doing your job, but you know, you're know you certainly out there not gonna be a household name. And uh, you know, I think you know, in the gym, there's a lot of guys that train hard and they work hard. And uh, ironically, when you said the 2019 Nogi Worlds, that was the first and only jujitsu tournament I've ever done. And so, first time out in the masters, you know, there's a lot of big, tough guys. I'm not a natural heavyweight, but, um, I, uh, you know, I kind of enjoyed a little retirement and, um, <laughs> I didn't know that though. So you, I, for some reason I had it in my head that you did, you did more jujitsu competitions, all wrestling and judo. I did some super matches like no gi yeah, okay, and okay. some, and some, yeah, I did some, you know, some stuff for when I was on the police department raising for charities and whatnot. And I think you came coach uh, yeah, us a couple of times. I remember that. But the first and only tournament I ever did um, was for jujitsu. But I had wrestled, you know, I probably have wrestled over 1,500, you know, freestyle and Greco-Roman matches, high school, college, and a ton of judo. And so when I was in the Marine Corps, I actually pulled some units and I was able to do the NCAA uh, club judo. And I ended up uh, finishing third in the national uh, judo tournament. Um, so I... You know, I, I had a lot of experience when I came here. And um, I tell you, though, jujitsu still um, was very challenging and uh, away from the competition just to come in day in and day out. And that's what I said, like, probably, you know, people, you know, they see the, uh, you know, John Jock and, you know, Eddie and, and, and um, you know, uh, some household name guys like, uh, you know, Joe Rogan and whatnot and uh, Todd White. You know, we've, we've had really an incredible uh, group of, of prestigious people. But within there, there's hundreds, you know, 100, 200 students, you know, regularly training here. And uh, what's interesting is they all uh, have um, uh, a story. And so, you know, we're going to talk about that today. And, yeah, and, and growing up in, in the judo, what was like... Um what did you feel as a kid being involved in martial arts and how that you feel helped you and when did you realize you want to become a police officer because uh it's not an easy job then and it's not an easy job today too right so i was a kid um that was always a little behind and um, i was adopted and uh I was adopted and born at St. Elizabeth's Hospital for unwed mothers in February of 1967 in San Francisco, adjacent to Chinatown, like Bruce Lee's neighborhood there. Yeah, yeah. And so I always have felt connected that way to Bruce Lee because the hospital is like, um, I, I read a, many Bruce Lee books, um, but I read a Charles Russo book called Striking Distance. And one of the nice things about that book is it really recants by address um, you know, everywhere where Bruce Lee was here or there uh, in San Francisco. So I've retraced all those routes when I go up there and whatnot. And I feel like really connected. Um, going forward with um, 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 
the impact that yeah the impact you. is is that um you know uh, um i i needed that discipline at 10 years old and so you know um judo i always say that judo's you know it's canonized it's very uh it's very strict and disciplined and jujitsu has that but it's kind of i always say more relaxed like no surfing way. it's like judo with surfing so that works but when i was young that that was the impact is that I needed those initial um, phases of that samurai discipline, the uh, the organization that the Japanese have put into um, into judo to be successful one in wrestling, but also to serve as a platform for the rest of my life uh, professionally and in, in policing and later to enter private business. And in, in following the steps of judo, you jump into wrestling. Yeah. And how was that transition for you? Did you feel you have some kind of advantage coming from judo standing or was a new adjustment that you have to do yourself? Well, it, it was challenging. So I always had like a good head and arm. And I, I tell my students <laughs> today, like I this head and arm or Kesegatami scarf hold is the same one I was using at 10 years old. So I was, you know, going into wrestling, I was very uh, dependent on throws. But I remember, and, and, and I, I always tell my students, because you can see over white belts come into academy, they start to get overwhelmed. Like, am I going to learn all this? One of the things when I was learning how to wrestle, and I remember, and I was like, man, that's like a lot. I'm, you know, I'm going to learn this cradle. This is going to be my move, because I'm never going to learn all the rest of this. And so I learned the cradle and then I learned the half Nelson and then I learned how to shoot and I picked up various degrees in, of, of uh, technical ability. And it didn't happen overnight, just like in jujitsu, but I, I ended up building a base of a wide range of techniques. And like, I have a very wide range of wrestling techniques today, different styles. I've done freestyle, I've done Greco-Roman. I competed in Sambo in the eighties and uh, uh, continued to do uh, judo. And um, then I used those uh, specialties to assist guys and corner guys in MMA and whatnot. Back in those days, it's uh, anybody that you kind of look up as you start your wrestling, your judo and I, Greco, anybody yeah. that you saw like, man, yeah. this so, is. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I came up and I ended up eventually uh, being a, per, uh, a, a um, student of Lee Allen. And so you can Google Lee Allen and uh, and check out his Wikipedia. But he was uh, my boyhood coach and the and and my international wrestling coach. He was the eighty Olympic coach. He was um, two time Olympian um, and seven time national champion. Uh, he never lost a, a match in high school, and I think they only wrestled three years. He he had told me he had never uh, lost a match in college wrestling in Oregon. He's in the Oregon Hall of Fame, and then uh, additionally, um, I trained with Stanford and um, at Willie Cahill's um, Judo Academy. Uh, primarily, I trained um, at Stanford, and then we worked out with the Stanford wrestling team there when Dave Schultz and Mark Schultz were there in the '80s. But um, uh, Willie Kale is a, a, a multiple Olympic coach and whatnot. So I always thought, like, man, I have these like incredible like coaches, and then um, um, I um, I ended up. Uh, um, wrestling, you know, I, I was, you know, I was a, I always had a winning record, but there's a lot of good wrestlers out there. So in the capacity of saying, um, like, was I a great wrestler? Um, I wasn't, but I was a wrestler that always showed up and sometimes the bear, um, uh, got me and sometimes I got the bear, 
but I had a, a, a just a phenomenal opportunity when I was a senior in high school. I didn't place in the high school tournament, and uh, I was like, man, I, I you know I want to I want to I want to do something. So the next thing was like the freestyle uh, championships, and so um, there were three high school state champions in the um, in the um, a 64 man bracket at uh, I think it was like 154 pounds. And, and um, these guys had all just one state, like six weeks, two months before. So I came in and I said, you know what? I, I, think, I think I can do this. I, nobody knew who I was. And um, I ended up winning the uh, first uh, five matches. And then I lost to a very well-known uh, wrestler, like in the sixth match named Brandon Dennington, who was a very experienced wrestler. And, um, and uh, then... Um, I, I lost one other one. I think I won one and I lost one, but I ended up fifth in the state of California in a very big bracket. And if you know about California wrestling, it's, it's, um, it's a, a very deep pool of wrestling. So then I went to the junior, uh, the junior Olympics, not the junior nationals, um, but I went to Iowa City to go wrestle in the, uh, in the, in the uh, junior Olympics. And I did freestyle Greco and Sambo. And I had a really good tournament. I ended up placing and beating a, a lot of good wrestlers. I think I placed fifth in freestyle. And um, I finished third in Greco. And I made it to the finals in Sambo. And my judo background, um, I ended up losing in the end. But uh, I wasn't recruited. I had really, like, no, you know, I've, I was looking at maybe going to San Francisco State um, um, to to wrestle. But that first year, what happened is I met, I went to the movies and I was standing in line and I met some people and they said, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to uh, come watch you wrestle the next day. And so the next day they came and uh, they knew the coaching staff and including Dan Gable. And um, um, by the time it was all said and done, I had a uh, invitation to attend school and to uh, participate in wrestling. They had to go through my, I didn't have great grades in high school coming out with those, the other problem. Uh, I corrected that later. And for anyone listening, school is important, but um, 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 so anyway, I spent um, the next uh, year at the university of Iowa and um, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. And, and what I realized there, there were a couple other guys that kind of just, happened into the program and they weren't starting they weren't wrestling but i learned some some very uh, good lessons and i'll give you an example of one of them like one of the um the the initial practices um couple of guys ended up helping me out there a guy named uh, harlan kistler who's an attorney now in riverside and whatnot and his brother marty in particular was were really good to me and marty was a ncaa champion and uh harlan was a uh um, a uh, Olympic alternate and all American. But um, I remember seeing this guy in the wrestling room and he's, he's working out and I go, man, that guy looks like pretty good. They go, that guy's never wrestled. He, uh, he, he's, he's going to be a doctor. He's from New York, I believe, or somewhere back East. And we just taught him how to wrestle. He, he moved in with us the summer of like his freshman year and he's been here four years. And I realized that day that if you took anybody, and this is what jujitsu does well, and you teach them correctly initially, and you, they make no mistakes, they don't pick up bad habits, that you can really get uh, far advanced. And later I use that own practice with my students to really teach them like advanced techniques. So um, at the University of Iowa, I hadn't yet uh, 
found my full self in education. I did pretty good there, but I was not prepared um, to go to college at that time. And it's not, I, I could have continued in school, but um, I decided to join the United States Marine Corps and I went into the infantry. It was peacetime, nothing happened, but four years of the, uh, of, uh, of, uh, the Marine Corps is exactly what I needed. I became a straight A student uh, later completing a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and I'm starting a, a PhD program next year. But, um, uh, and then I started my trek into the LAPD where I did 28 years. Yeah, that's, uh, I wanna end that because I'm not sure I remember one, one of the ceremonies that you have, yeah. you invited me to go and I think you are among a few that has more than one medal. I don't know, yeah. I'm sure you have two or three medals. Mm -hmm. And the medals, how do we call those medals? Like a uh, Medal of Valor. And basically for people to understand out there is, it's something that people get because he went beyond what he's supposed to do as yeah. an officer to save someone's life. Right. And now it's, it's like, if you don't do anything, it's okay with you, but Mark, and I'd like you to go through one of this story, and I think was the one that I went there to see you receive that. I think it's somewhere here in the Encino. Our old lady, she wasn't doing well, and she wants to jump from the balcony on the seventh floor. Right. She's about to jump, and you can finish this story, Mark, please. Yeah, sure. So, um, <laughs> like, I, in my police career, like, whatever could go wrong always went wrong, and I was always in the wrong place at the right time but because of all the you know when you when you walk out on a jujitsu mat or a wrestling mat or the judo tatami you're, you're all by yourself and so from a little kid you know into you know constantly especially with wrestling and judo it's up or out that's what i like about jujitsu per se it's not it's more of a life marathon type situation but when you go through uh, wrestling and judo it's up or out you know and 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 you know you're shooting for the olympics or you know some high quality tournaments so you learn to stand alone so one day um we're i mean i i have so many crazy stories we could sit here for nine hours but i would like to hear <laughs> two of them i so i we're, we're coming back from the jail and i had taken this guy under my wing and uh, you met him his yes. name was Edwin. Good cop, man. Gr great guy. And his career has really, really flourished. And I think he's actually studying jujitsu, man. But a great guy, man. A great partner. And we're coming back from the jail. And uh, all of a sudden, we hear um, the fire department. We're like on Ventura and Havenhurst here in the San Fernando Valley. And they're going, hey, like she's on the backside. And, and I go, hey, look, it, it sounds like the fire department's got something going on. And so um, we see a fire truck like in the area like going to the back and and i go we go stop get out and i go hey man like what's going on and they go like hey we got like a suicide jumper up on the seventh floor so we uh we get out <laughs> and and so i mean th this is how crazy this story is i i get out and we're walking to the elevator and so um they're like it's on the seventh floor so we get in and there's a woman standing in the elevator and i say yeah I'm like, hey, police, you know, like we're, we're going to go to the seventh floor. Like, don't press the button. So the door's closing and somebody sticks their hand in and it opens back up. And I go, hey, what are you doing? Like police business. I was like, hey, you know, you need to get out of the elevator and find like another elevator. So it closes. We start going up to the seventh floor and then a light bulb goes in my head. 
And I go, um, uh, did, did you know that guy, madam? And she's like, oh, yeah, that was my husband. And so we get up to the seventh floor and we get out. And um, I'm saying to my partner, I go, I bet you that lady calls the police station and says we were rude to her. Like, you think she's going to do that? Was I rude to her? You know, he's like, no, nah, I think you were okay. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of a stressful call. So we're, we're talking in conversation. And I'm like, I, want, I wonder where these people are at. So we open up the door to the landway and there's a woman standing there and she's got um, a bra tied around her neck and she looks at me and says, you're not going to stop me. And she goes and she slides under the rail to throw herself like off the building underneath from the seventh floor. And um, I just reacted and I dove and I caught her legs and I literally dug my like fingers like into her flesh as I was holding on. And I was like myself, I said, Hey, I uh, like, I don't want to see this lady like fall in front of me. And so I, I realize now I'm sliding down and she's taking me over and I'm like trying to hook my foot. And I look back at my partner as I'm sliding and I'm like, Edwin. And so he, oh, he's like, Oh yeah. And he gets involved and he jumps on my legs. And now it's a stalemate. She's like trying to fight to get away and fall. And I, we're, I'm just holding her. I'm like, I don't know like how long I can hold her for. And uh, her, her body's like off like the ledge. And so all of a sudden, uh, it felt like an hour, but I'm sure it was only about another 30 seconds. And I'm pulling with all my might. And uh, all of a sudden, this fireman kicks o open the door. Like he's up looking for us, I guess. He kicks open the door. And he, uh, he grabs my Sam Brown gun belt and he lifts up all three of us with one arm and puts us down. So we ended up getting that lady some help and, uh, you know, got her into some treatment and whatnot. But that's just, uh, that's just one cra crazy story. And ultimately we were, uh, I, my partner and I were uh, awarded the, uh, the Los Angeles Police Department Medal of Valor, yeah, I was there. and then so you were there for that. What was that? was was that the one um, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Right. So later, the state of California ended up um, Arnold Schwarzenegger invited us up, myself and Edwin, and uh, Edwin, if you're out there, you know, thanks for everything. <laughs> I got this kid. That was like the only event. Like this kid, man. I don't know how he lived, but you know, this kid ended up, uh, and he's you know getting uh, quite a few medals. Um, uh, and, and, and uh, accommodations and whatnot in the police work that we did. But we went up, man, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he brought us in his office and he, uh, he, he gave us like a signature cigar and like he talked to us. But the one thing that like resonated with me and going back to childhood and the Bruce Lee book and we grew up on Rocky and, you know, these, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, you know, these movies. And Arnold Schwarzenegger looked across at me and he says to me, I did this in the movies and you did this in real life. And, you know, I mean, it was surreal because, you know, um, in mythology and in storytelling, like, w you know, um, we uh, tell stories to encourage people to do the right thing or heroic things. I mean, think about Batman. It's a 35 cent comic and how much play that's got. I've got a book on my shelf called The Philosophy of Batman. It's PhDs weighing in on who Batman is and how it relates. But I felt at that time, my life had gone for full circle 
But but I've got a funnier story, man. If you, I want to hear, <laughs> let's okay. do it, man. All right. So this <laughs> I is I always tell this I always tell tell this story, and th this story was more hairier. So went on the police department. I got three medals of valor, and so there I think there's like six people that got two. But since uh, 1862 or whenever the city formed, I'm the only uh, officer that um, received uh, three medals of valor, and I'm grateful that for that. It doesn't make me any better or worse than anyone else. It it just it's just how it happened. There's a lot of heroic officers. I work with some of the bravest men and women, um, and and I couldn't have done any of this without their support. So one night we arrested a Power Ranger, and uh, this guy was a um, you know uh, uh, you know Power Ranger, and you know I don't want to say which one or whatever. But he might have had too much to drink, and and we took him to the jail, and it was like it was so agonizing. And you know, he's telling me there <clears throat> that he wants to be an MMA fighter, and then he wants to fight me. And I told him he should stick to um, Taekwondo or whatever he was doing. Anyway, long story short, we wrap up with this. Now it's like two o'clock in the morning, and we're at Van Nuys Station. And so we get back out to the police car, and we look up in the air. And all of a sudden, there's like a helicopter, like off in the distance. I go, hey, I think Van Nuys has got something going on. They're setting up a perimeter, man. They must got a bad guy. So we get on like the frequency and and, and we say, hey, um, uh, airship, like what do you got going on? He's like, hey, I got a house fire here. No fire on scene, uh, no PD on scene. And, you know, it looks like there's people here and uh, the fire is up on the uh, second story. So I go, hey, I'm gonna turn on my lights, guide us in. And so the airship for me, like left, right, left, right, boom. And actually Ben Thompson, another black belt, who's LAPD, he was on probation at the time, he showed up at this call. And I'll, it's funny, <laughs> man, because his like eyes were open. So me and Edwin show up to this call. You know, this is another Mark and Edwin story. Uh, we show up at the call and uh, there's people like at the house, in front of the house, and I go, hey, listen, uh, you know, the house is on fire. Is uh, is there anyone in there? They go, our father's in there. Like, you know, you gotta get him out. And I, I go, okay, well, we're gonna go take a peek, you know, but uh, this house is like going pretty good. So um, I tell Edwin, I said, hey, listen, like you speak Spanish, and what I need you to do is I need you to go quick to every room, look under the beds in the closets, make sure no kids are hiding. and." We're gonna get everyone out, but make sure there's no little kids hiding, right? And um, so he goes, okay. So we go in and go there, and this guy is got a hose, and he's shooting it up into the ceiling. Now he hasn't seen the outside how bad this situation is. It's like fully engulfed. So I'm telling him, hey, hey, man, you gotta drop the, you gotta, you gotta drop the, uh, the hose, man. Like we gotta go. And he's like, no, like this. Um, um, uh, I, I, this is my house. I'm going to try to save my house and whatnot. So anyway, uh, Edwin comes back and I'm like, Hey, listen, um, look, man, um, no kids. He's like, there's no kids. I'm like, are you sure? Cause we have one. And all of a sudden I can f hear the oxygen like swelling up in the walls. It's like, you know, backdraft. Yeah, yeah. Like something's, something's going on. Right. But you know, and all of a sudden as I'm sitting there and I'm telling this, I go, get the hose away from him we start to like wrestle like over the hose and this guy's like drowning. He's the dude drowning in the middle of the ocean. So I'm like this, I'm like the back of the house falls and I, the back doors open, starts to fall. You can see it and you can hear the wall swelling up. 
and all of a sudden, boom, like some smoke breaks out. So I grab, this guy is committed to trying to put out that fire. So I go, that's it, man. Here comes the fist, white flash, dude's on the floor, pick him up. Now I'm headed to the door and like I have him fireman's carry. And he's, the smoke is like billowing in. And so um, I get out to the front and I drop the guy in the front yard. I drop him down and I've taken in smoke. I end up being hospitalized after this for smoke inhalation. So I'm like, I'm coughing, black lung, and the guy wakes up and he's like, hey man, this officer, he hit me. <laughs> His son like attacks us. Like I'm like, I just saved your dad's life. So anyway, um, long story short, that's where Ben showed up. His eyes were open. They wheel me off in an ambulance, but they end up arresting the father and the son for like, uh, like trying to fight the police after we saved the dad's life. You can't make up a story like this. So anyway, we go, we, they end up prosecuting him like a year later. And so we, uh, show up at like the trial or whatever. And it ended up like, I think I actually testified and I was like, yeah, this did. And the son did this, they convicted him. And then I'm walking out of the courthouse and I get a call. They're like, Hey, you're going to get the uh, life-saving medal, which is the medal, like under the, the medal of valor, you're getting a life-saving medal. So I arrested the power ranger. I saved the guy's <laughs> life. His son attacked a gangbanger son attacked me i convicted him of a misdemeanor and i got a medal for doing it Classic oh, story. <laughs> crazy i and i also remember uh mm -hmm. i think it was, it was one of the guys they sent me a video on facebook like look familiar and it's like a, it's a restaurant you see all the diners they're eating and with the one person gets up and they they're going like this and they're choking yeah yeah there's Mark, that's run funny. Through, but you just ran in and like, boop, boop, and the person kind of settled down and you were just like Batman. You came in and then kind of swooped away. And <laughs> yeah, we were there ordering some food and this guy started choking and we gave him the Heimlich maneuver and it turned out to be like a, a press piece. And it was nice to get him because not every press piece I've gotten has been positive. Like I said, as a police officer, you're there infamous or you're a professional. So that was good. But, but the thing is, uh, when you say in that situation, I think what I understand is we do good things regardless if people are looking or not. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not doing good things because, oh, a lot of people are looking, I'm going to do this. No. Right. That shows that the quality of person that you are because you don't care. You just want to save the person's life regardless. Well, I became a police officer to help people. And so people will say, don't say that when you go to an interview, that sounds corny, right? But it's the truth. I got in a, uh, into police work because that was immediate impact to help people. I stayed as a patrol officer for many years because that was the best way that I could impact to help people. And, and going back on this, with all the background that you have as a martial artist and you become a law enforcement, Yes. Does that help you mentally and physically to be prepared for situations that you've probably never been before or not expecting? Yes. So definitely um, policing is a situation where um, you're going to be touching people and they may, um, they may resist on that crucial point where you're handcuffing them or whatnot. So I'd always been involved in grappling arts. So I was very comfortable if somebody was pulling me away pulling away from me or something that I could, um, I could uh, control them and handcuff them, whether it was taking them down to the ground. And I always felt that because I had superior skills 
that I was able to control them. And it goes back to something you always said, always resonated with me. And you say it a lot and you go, Hey, the more, you know, the less you'll use. And I always felt like by staying physically fit, by understanding, you know, what, what a police officer is allowed and what's acceptable to do. Um, and, and then going out and protecting the community that I was always at an advantage because I trained as much as, as, as possible. And, you know, with everything going on in the world and whatnot today, I would encourage every police officer to go out and get some training in jujitsu because one, um, it's going to make your job easier. And two, you're not going to get that training to the highest degree. And we were talking about that yeah. off camera. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the, you're going to get 40 hours or 80 hours of defensive tactics in the police academy, but it's not the, 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 um, the focus on, on where you need it day in and day out. So if you're a true professional, a true professional is going to train in those gaps. I considered myself to be a professional and a professional today. I need to keep my skills up at a high level so I can control situations. Do you think if you see that as a, I don't know, sometimes I see people, oh, this is my job. I don't know, from outside, it sounds more professional to me and that you get more involved with, say, oh, that's my career. Yeah. Well, I say you have to be a professional. So a professional has a career. I think, uh, you know, um, policing. And, and knowing yeah. you, you know that even after you finish work and all of these, you go and train yeah. and you improve yourself on the hours that you're not working. Yes. Which I'm sure that, like, hopefully, hopefully, a lot more people would be able to do that because, as you can see, make your your job, I would say career, a lot smoother in a way to avoid some situations because of you were prepared for. Yes, so I think it's interdisciplinary. So I continue to go to school. I was an omnivorous reader. Um, I uh, continued to uh, go past college and to, uh, you know, to bachelor's degree and to graduate school. I continued to learn. I picked up training. I made sure I was here. And people would say, man, you're like, you're so busy, right? The thing is, is I wanted to make sure that I was always developing and on the, on the jujitsu end, the defensive tactics end, I, I felt that it was life insurance, you know? And so, you know, um, I did a, uh, uh, an interview for Black Rifle Coffee and, uh, um, you know, they, I said that everybody should get to the blue belt level. That's a cop get to that blue belt level. And it, there used to be a saying that said four years of high school wrestling goes a long way on the street. A blue belt level, which could be four, you know, one, two, three, four years based on the practitioner to get there, that's going to go a long way on the street. And the other thing that you have to realize too as a police officer is that um, you're dealing with um, people um, that have um, made the decision that they're, you know, going to be involved in criminality, antisocial behavior, or you're dealing with people that have psychological problems and are unpredictable and at two o'clock in the morning at an apartment or out in an alley you were the person you were the de the the um, designated um, uh, uh, problem solver in a democratic society you're elected to that position to deal with it you have a duty to be able to handle that situation and the only way you're going to affect that is through training so i've seen a lot of podcasts in the last year 
and some of them are martial arts guys, others are military guys, and they, you know, it's, you know, in commentary, they, they're talking about police work. But unless you've done police work, it's like me trying to talk about being a special operations guy in the military. Like, I, I don't know anything about it. I didn't mm-hmm. do it. But on the policing front, there's a couple of key things. And the things that I learned in jujitsu, I was able to turn into drills that when we worked on defensive tactics days, and one of them is, and I don't care like if someone goes out there and do, do it, but you know, we're big advocates about gi training. And then people go, well, people don't wear a gi on the street, right? But I found when training cops, instead of putting on like the, the fist suit or you know, one of these training things where you take out a, a baton and you start hitting them, and I found that if you put a, a student into a gi and then you put them in situations like, hey, you're gonna grab this leg and this, and then you have them go and it's situational you go okay okay you got a bad position what you need to do is to turn this way and then you start them again right and they go through some more and you have them end successful and you use the the gi they're they're learning to grab on at first and it's like training wheels right a gi should be like pads or you know like tie pads or something it's a training aid and i found it very effective to use uh uh to, to do with law enforcement officers. But then the feedback I got, they were like, hey, I've never trained like that. See, the, the, the um, methodologies are there to train police officers. It's just a matter of, um, of doing it. You know, they spend a lot of time on shooting per se, right? Lots of time, something could happen. But how often does that happen, right? Even in a big city like Los Angeles, a, an officer may never discharge their firearm, but they're gonna be touching people every day. They're gonna be putting their hands and it's the person decides, am I going to run? Am I going to resist? Or am I going to full out fight? Because you're standing between me and my, my freedom. Yeah, I asked, I remember a number of years ago, one of our black belts here, who's a police officer, um, really good, just tie me up in knots all the time. So one time I asked him, I'm like, you know, you can do this by yourself. I go, why is it, why does it appear to an untrained person that there's such a struggle to apprehend somebody? And his answer just blew me away. He goes, one guy properly trained can get it done. He goes, when you have one guy properly trained, trying to get it done, and then you have a handful of not so well trained, they sort of dilute the process and create more challenges than are really needed. And he goes, that's just a matter of training. He goes, now imagine you get everybody to the same level. Far less situations like this will occur. Jay, what you're saying is very profound and you're absolutely right. And I'm glad that you said that. I've never heard somebody um, uh, state this that comes from a civilian background. And what happens is you uh, move in on somebody and somebody's trying to take them down. Somebody's trying to hold them up. They're pulling the left leg right the right leg left and they're all working against each other right defensive tactics have to be systemized so everybody knows like what they're doing and um you know at some point you got to subscribe to a system you know punching and kicking works good it works too good right that's what we've discovered about about percussion and 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 stand-up arts like if you sit there and you, you you take a guy down and he's hiding his hands and you punch him in the face 10 times it's a bad optic, right? It's effective, but now the guy's got a broken eye socket, right? Yeah, yeah. 
we want to, when, when the police interact with somebody, you, you are prescribed to use force, but you have to try to use the least amount of force in that situation. What's, what's the variable? Training, right? You're talking about the officer here that was telling you, hey, you can tie them up in knots, but I got people working against them. If you, from civil liability, from criminal liability, from, um, from going home to your family at night, you have a duty to train. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes cops are the worst about getting training away from the police department. And I get it, man. You have kids, you have family, and whatnot. Like we do, plus right. going to the very stressful world, very danger. Um, I think in our school here, we, I, feel, I feel really good in a way because we got message from students from many years ago that just trained for a year and they right. have they were transferred for someplace else right i have guys that send emails like man the few training that i had at the school jiu-jitsu saved my life because then the very little knowledge as you just mentioned to be a blue belt in a jiu-jitsu school it's the beginning but in the outside world you are very advanced Yes, a lot of people they have no clue what a blue belt can do. I have, I have, I have a theory about that. I, I have a theory, and I plan to do some writing on it eventually. But what it is, it's called percentages in self defense. Sue so is here. Uh, John Jock was a world champion, and like this Taekwondo guy was a world champion. And so students come in, and they say, um, "Oh, I have to be at this level to be effective on the street." But the reality is. Take a NCAA college wrestler champion from this year. The guy that's like 152nd that didn't even make the tournament because there are similarities wrestling on the D1 level or even a good high school wrestler. The percentages are on this are the same when you go to self-defense. That's why I say high, uh, four years of high school wrestling is a uh, goes a long way on the street when you take a percentage and you put a person into a percentage group and then you add a variable like oh no and this guy's a high school wrestler and he's a good boxer right you don't have to be a world-class athlete to be effective as a self-defense practitioner right and that's one of the things that i've always admired about this school and training here that it's self-defense first and, and I think it's uh, one way that was presenting to, to the jiu-jitsu world, I would say. We have a lot of law enforcement seminars that people that come to our school is they present as a scenario. Look, that's what happened here. This guy does this, he does not cooperate. And what approach do you see from the jiu-jitsu world that we can use in the street? 99.9%, the simplest thing you can ever imagine. And that's why a lot of dogs are like, that's it? That's it? Yes. The simple that the way we do with the body work simplifies so much. And a lot of people sometimes say, oh, I have to go and train 10 years. No, not at all. We have program that we taught to a lot of officers here that is 12 techniques. The most common scenarios that we have out there. And if you practice those 12, you cover a huge percentage of the situation that you'll be facing every single day. And I think we're trying to simplify. And based on that, Mark, I remember you mentioned to me that 
I'm not sure it was in the beginning or halfway through your jiu-jitsu training over here with us. Man, one day I want to retire. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to open my school. I want to teach jiu-jitsu. I love so much to see the, the impact that they had on me. I want people to have that opportunity. You did not wait to go to Hawaii. You actually end up opening the school right here in LA at Simi Valley. Yes. Which is the 805 Jiu-Jitsu, one of the schools that are affiliated to our headquarters here and doing an amazing job. Beautiful school how, too. Yeah, how, how is that for you now being on the other side, not a student? Now you're the one that guiding all these people with different backgrounds, have no idea, and little by little, like, like your kids. You've well, seen their evolution. How's that for you now? It's phenomenal, but I got good help. So first and uh, foremost, I my business partner out there, Bryce Eddy, who's a black belt from this yeah, academy. Bryce, Bryce, Bryce is a good guy, yeah. And so Bryce was like your model for the early books. And I know, yeah, he come, hey, books. can I go take a picture? So yeah, I need, I need, <laughs> I need, I need a dummy. Can you come in? Yeah, he's one of the uh, school OGs. He's out there with me. I like it, man. He's a good administrator. So it frees me up to teach. And so- um, it's been amazing. And so, um, like I had done coaching, but, um, being a teacher, being a sensei is, uh, something c completely different. And I'll tell you, like, you know, it's <laughs> not like you can plug other people in there. You got to be in there to teach because yeah. people want to see you. Yeah. You have to be connected. And so sure. in the last five years, I have got a new respect for you guys because you guys are always <laughs> here and so you know you never really think about it and so sometimes you go like hey where's john jock like i'm here tonight right well you know john jock's teaching 20 classes a week or whatever you know and so um i but on the other side of that that's the only way like students are going to learn is if you're there monitoring you know um, watching them roll uh, demonstrating techniques working on deficiencies and and whatnot and so it, it is absolutely phenomenal i mean i have to get up and pinch myself to make sure i'm not dreaming i t retired from the police department uh, three years ago i had tremendous uh, business opportunities i took care of I, I took advantage of those but it allowed me uh, you know a couple years before i retired from lapd it allowed me to open up a school and i gotta tell you like you guys are so supportive um it, it is a dream to come true to come into an academy and to um you know i'm all about loyalty and so you know um i could not even imagine uh teaching jujitsu or or uh coaching uh anything uh, not under your banner because like you you taught me everything that i know and i know people say that i saw i was watching eddie's uh eddie's uh podcast and and you know talking about loyalty and whatnot without loyalty there's nothing there and it starts with that so i'm so proud you know your picture it the only picture in our academy is a picture of john jock and um i just try to stay to that standard of the way that i was treated and learned and learned in a relaxed environment but always a, a level of care with that you know so i just man this is absolutely amazing man you know and i've been a lot of places and worked out with a lot of great people um, but this has been and by far 20 years of greatness. Oh yeah. And I yeah. think what, uh, when you become an instructor too, and I realized that is first maybe month or two of jujitsu training myself. Then my cousin was the coach and got a new student 
He goes, hey, Jack, can you show him? And what I learned from that is in the early days becoming training jiu-jitsu, you learn to care about others. And that just grows. It's not just, and I do that a lot of the students, I can see their face sometimes like, oh, I want to train, and Jack wants me to teach this guy. And I choose some of the guys because I know they need to learn that, to care about others. Because that's what we do here. We're taking care of each other and during the training. And now you're in the position that all of your students, I see you're that. the one taking care of them. I see that. And, and you're absolutely right. The purple belts and blue belts need to develop the white belts you can't be every place at once. And in order to do that, those people that you are awarding with belt ranks that are wearing their symbol of jujitsu around their waist, they have to be involved in, in, in the class in order to develop their future training partners. And we've seen that now. I mean, I can tell you, we've seen so many people come from white belt to black belt and, and like little groups like this, it's this group, you know, and, that group and this group and you know and i think like you know like the 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 middle group right now like the michael gallagher and his crew right and then there's a younger a younger crew right and then there's this crew that just hit black belt right it's so amazing to watch because we've watched this over and over i'll tell you when i was sold in jujitsu this is when it sold me there was this guy here i'm not going to mention his name but he's a pretty average wimpy dude and he just stuck it out in the program. And one day I was rolling with him and he had his legs involved. I had a hard time like, like passing his guard. And, um, and I realized that if you spend and commit five years to jujitsu and you show up to practice, unlike wrestling and judo, which are attrition sports that are up or out, right? The relaxation of jujitsu uh, and the calmness of jujitsu allow people to flourish it's like the the adage of you put the uh frog in the water if it's hot it's going to jump out right that's that's sometimes unfortunately wrestling and judo on the competitive level jiu-jitsu you drop the frog in and master john jock increases the heat maybe turns it off and back it gets boiling that frog's still in there and five years later you got a dude that's pretty tough that wouldn't have made it. And, and I think like that was like Eddie Bravo's thing too, that he was saying like, I wasn't good in wrestling. I wasn't good in this. And you talked about his like breakthrough and whatnot. And so, I mean, it's just, we've seen it over and over again, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think it's created a chain reaction in the most amazing and positive way possible to people because we, we can tell how people were a few years ago and how they are. And they basically now are in an amazing way, much better person. They feel better about themselves. Absolutely. Now this is, um, I ask that to every person that comes here. Um, Mark Morales, who is Mark Morales? Well, I think, you know, um, I'm a person that's always uh, trying to help people. I'm certainly not a perfect person. Um, uh, none of us are. And, um, but um, I, one of the things I think that defines me is people go, oh, you retired from the police department. And I say, no, I transitioned. I'm still a servant to people, but I'm doing it now in a different way. So I'm doing that through teaching jujitsu. I'm involved in private business, and, and, but I still feel that I have a servant's heart. And one of the most important thing, you were talking about like, hey, we do nice things for people, or you know, we, we've done things in the line of duty and whatnot. I think that you have to practice random 
acts of kindness. Find people that need help. I know we do a lot of stuff in school, but do things for people anonymously. You see somebody that needs some help, you help them and you keep your mouth shut and they don't even know where it came from, Exactly. right? And that's, you know where you get that from? You get that from the ethic from uh, jujitsu because and it's probably hard for people under to understand, but the investment and the type, and especially with the people that you you uh, you spend time with and you come up with in the system. If you're an outsider and you don't practice martial arts, you're going to be like, "Well, that's combatives. How do you get to that?" The highest form of martial arts is love from the heart, right? You're you're successful and you're successful because your students know that you care about them, right? And, and they go, hey, this isn't about Jay getting ready for this tournament. Jay's here, John Jock's here, because he's invested in me to get me better, right? But jujitsu is just a platform. Jiu-Jitsu is an artificial system for the wider platform to be a good person, right? So every day, man, and let me tell you, man, like I'm not perfect. I've, I've done things that I'm not proud of, but I've grown and used jujitsu as a platform to move forward to be a good person and to always help others. And uh, that's one of the things, and I don't know how many years we've been done our Christmas tournament. And I think my thought is, how can I pass that idea to all my students to be involved with? And it's amazing because every year for, I don't know, 20 something years, you guys uh, witness what what beautiful things come out of that. but. It makes everyone understand that you can help anybody anytime, any day, and you don't need much for that at all. It's just the intention and do it. And this is one of the things and you just mentioned now, and um, I feel so proud to have all of you guys. And man, Jay's been here for I don't know how long, Jay. Too long. <laughs> Mark has been here. And it's amazing to me is that walking into a school and our school, your school and Jay's school, we have so many different color belts a lot of higher belts. Because a lot of people think when you get the black belt, oh, I'm done, I'm already reached that. No, every belt is a new beginning. Right, it's very sad in fact, when somebody gets a black belt and they take their foot off the gas and the rare instances that it happened, but like that's that's really- The beginning. The beginning, because like I've been a black belt longer than I was any grade in belt. And it's the responsibility. And you know, part of it is you come into a room, guys are gunning for you. And they want to test themselves out of it. So that's the physical. But at the same time, they're looking for uh, leadership, right? And so that's the mental component. But the way you conduct yourself day in and day out, carry yourself on and off the mat, that's the spiritual aspect. Mind, body, spirit. And that's, to me, that's the essence of Budo and Bushido right there. I, we should practice that. Yeah, I always I always view the, the, the black belt as the crossover up until you get to the black belt it's all me then once i get the black belt it becomes you you know it's like i i have i have to continue growing but now the growth is more about giving back and giving as much as i can of that because i'll continue to grow even more i found i've learned so much more teaching than i ever did in class learning and I'm very grateful because both of you, I've had private m- moments to mentor. So when I was opening up and, and Jay, you've invited me to uh, do seminar work. And I remember at the uh, Inosanto Academy when we went down there and we you know 
way before COVID went down there and we taught and whatnot. And some of the things that you said to me about uh, teaching and where your heart has to be in teaching, uh, you know, and it wasn't even a conversation where you're coaching me, but your attitude and your actions and the way you conduct yourself actually spoke and mentored me to become a better coach. And you, um, John Jock, um, always, you know, telling me, um, you know, how to connect and, you know, how to resonate with, with the students and to have them get the most out of themselves. It's been invaluable for me. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you too, coming out of almost 30 years of policing when you're on a hypervigilance, like it, oh, I can't imagine Yeah, man. to come man, that you guys were the refining factor you know, because <laughs> some crazy things have happened in this school, but you guys were always the refining factor to be a gentleman and to, you know, to, to, uh, to practice Bushido. And um, I'm so grateful to both of you. That's why it's such an honor to be here today. It was man, great man. having you here. Believe me, it's been too long. And uh, man, knowing you for all these years and uh, thank you. Thank you for being here, Mark. Thank you for sharing some of uh, your life story here, some of your professional life and, uh, having also such an amazing impact to the students at your own school now and i was being a part of everything that we do here thank you thank you for being here sir thanks, thanks for having thanks. me good to see you all right everyone it's another no give required podcast today I had mark morales thank you mark i'll see you guys very soon take care thank you